this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. Very excited about this morning's passage. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. If this is your first time with us, we are, we're on our way through the book of Acts. And uh, as you can tell, uh, there's a lot of chapters in Acts and we're in chapter 2. So we are uh, just in the beginning stages. We have a long way to go. And uh, just trusting that God is going to teach us and grow us a ton through what we learn in this book. And has already, um, for me, just um, it's been amazing. And uh, hopefully for you too, if, if you've been joining us through this time. And um, But today what we're going to look at is, is just a, a few verses actually at the end of chapter 2, towards the end of chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 37 through 41. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Well, this is uh, continuing a a sermon that Peter is giving. And uh, we've been talking about that sermon. This is the third week now. And and, uh, this is kind of the wrap-up of of Peter's sermon. And so... um, Kind of conclusion to this sermon, he, he's, he's talking, it says, when they heard this uh, at the end of his sermon, when, uh, when they hear what Peter's talking about, they respond. And what is it talking about when, when it says, now when they heard this, what is this? Uh, it's the gospel. Uh, Peter has spoken to them the gospel. First of, all, first of all, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We get that from verse t- uh, 22, up at the top of the column there, if you have the same exact Bible I do. Um, But verse 22, where Peter says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Well, we talked about that last week, right? And what we talked about was that, that God proved, he demonstrated to mankind that Jesus was his son. He was the Messiah that was promised to come. And he proved that. And, and I love what Peter says at the end of verse 22. What's he say? It says, as you yourselves know, you know, you saw, you heard, you experienced Jesus. And you know in your hearts that he is the one that God promised was going to come. No one else could do the things that Jesus did unless he was sent from God. And so Peter, uh, Peter says to them, you know, you know. And I, I just think that is so often the case. There's so many people who are just denying, denying Christ. And I think that's the same with, with these people here who, who, had, who had denied Christ and, and really been caught up in a movement, uh, a movement that, that wanted to put Christ to death and just got caught up in this movement. And everything that they had seen, everything that they ex- had experienced about Christ, and they suppressed that, they, they, they denied that and chose instead to crucify Christ. I wonder how many of us do that, right? I wonder how many of us today do that same exact thing. We know, we know that Christ is, is the truth. 
We know that He's the way. We know that all of the things that we have seen in Scripture, all of the things that we've, we've seen Him do in our lives, or all the things we've seen Him do in other people's lives, this has got to be real, and yet we will suppress that. We will deny that just to fit in with the crowd, just to fit in with the people around us, just because we cannot submit to something even if that's god we cannot submit our agenda we cannot submit our way to something higher or bigger than us because we just couldn't admit that that would be the case i just wonder how often is that the case and so he tells them the gospel the first part is jesus christ is the son of god the next thing he tells them is he died jesus christ the son of god died in verse 23 he says this jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of god you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men he didn't just randomly die god planned for him to die and that definite plan was to show you how much god loved you and to show you that this was the payment for your sins god planned it because this was the only way that your sins could be forgiven And so it just wasn't a random death. It just wasn't someone who died. No, this is the Son of God who died to prove God's love for you and to take away the sin of the world. And so he says, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died. And the third thing he says is, he rose again. He didn't stay dead. He rose again. Verse 24, it says, God raised him up. In verse 32, um, it says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Just like you, we talked about last week, just like he's saying to the people, just like you were witnesses of all the things that Jesus did to prove that he was the son of God. We are witnesses that he is alive, that all the things that you you heard him say about you're going to you're going to kill this body, but it's not going to stay dead. I'm going to rise again in three days. They're true. We saw him. We touched him. We heard him speak. We saw him eat. We saw him do things that dead people don't do. We are witnesses that he is alive again. And so he tells them the gospel. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died and he rose again. And how do they respond? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That literally means they were pierced. They were stabbed. They were pierced to the heart. Well, that's what happens when we hear truth. Sometimes, you know, um, Jesus is teaching and, and actually he's praying in John 17 and, and in verse 17, he says, sanctify them, which means make them holy, make them righteous, um, grow them to, to put it in really basic terms, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then speaking of, of, of uh, God's word in, in Hebrews 4, 12, it says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart that's exactly what's happening here truth has been spoken the word of god has been spoken they have heard jesus is the son of god and he died and he rose again and they are pierced they are stabbed to the heart and they're ruined i mean imagine because remember what peter had told them you did it you're the one that killed him you're the one that it was god's definite plan but he used you to bring about his plan and you killed jesus they're ruined right now they're struggling they're hurting they are and it just pierces and that's what truth does it's what it does today it's no different when people actually grasp and will submit to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died and that He rose again, it's the same effect. You're pierced. You are pierced to the heart because there's this understanding that I 
need whatever it is that he is offering. And so we're pierced to the heart. And that's exactly what's happening with these people here. And they're devastated, not just by the fact that, that Jesus did die, that the Messiah that they had been waiting for died, but the fact that they killed him. This Messiah that they, their whole life they've been brought up being taught that this Messiah is coming. And now to find out, well, he came and you knew it. You knew the things he did and you killed him. Just imagine how devastating that would be to the people. And so they're stabbed, they're pierced, they're cut to the heart. And they respond. Uh, they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love this part. Okay. Uh, this is a right response to the gospel. This is the right response to truth. Brothers, what shall we do? Let me tell you why. Okay. Because here are people who are humbly understanding that God is God of the universe and that they are men, mere men. They are going to die and that God sent his son and their only response is, what shall we do? What can we do? What must we do? What shall we do? And why I think that's so important for us to get, because so many times what happens is people will hear about Jesus. People will hear the truth and their response is, and maybe we're guilty of this. Maybe you're guilty of this. But the response is, what am I going to have to give up? Or what am I going to have to lose? What am I going to have to do? What is this going to mean? How many friends am I going to lose? Am I going to have to get new friends? Does this mean I'm going to have to go to church every week? Does this mean I'm going to have to do this? Does this mean this? Does this? These people are like, what do we do? Just tell us, Peter, tell us what to do. We don't care. I mean, you just tell us what has to happen and we will do it. That is a right response to understanding who God is and what he did to prove his love for mankind. That's the right response. And we can't stop and start evaluating and saying, well, what am I going to have to give up? What am I going to lose? What's it going to cost me? What? Well, Jesus makes that clear. It's going to cost your life and it's worth it because I gave my life for you and I'm God. I'm the God of the universe and I'm glorious and you will not find anything. All those things that we're we're debating. Do I want to give this up? Do I want to give this up? Well, what if I lose this? All those things to set them in the presence of God and to even compare them. To even try to compare the stuff that we want to hold on to to God. It's, it's meaningless. It's, you know, Paul refers to it as rubbish. It's, it's, it's beyond trash. It's actually manure is what that word is translated. It's nothing. It's just disgusting in the presence of God. And these people, their right response is, what do I do? What's next? I, I mean, don't stop there. Now, what do we do? What shall we do? Man, I, mean, I would challenge you this morning before we even go on. I would challenge you. Is that your response? I mean, as we come before God, as we as we as we think about God, as we think of what he has done and the truth of what Peter has taught, that he sent his son and gave his life so that we could be forgiven of our sins. How are we responding to that? Is it daily that we're taking up our cross and, and whatever, whatever it brings, Lord, in other words, what, whatever comes into my life? It's all for your glory. I'm going to live for you and for your glory. And I'm just going to do whatever you call me to do. And Jesus, you said, if I love you, I'll keep your commandments. I'll do whatever. And I do love you. And so 
what, what, what shall I do? I'll do whatever. Or is it daily we're evaluating, man, does this mean I can't do this again, Lord? Does this mean I'm not allowed to do this? Does this mean I'm, I can't do this now? Does this mean I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this? Because that's what the Ten Commandments are, right? Just a bunch of what we can't do. No, it's not at all. It's, it's a realization that, God, you are holy. You are glorious. You are far above my understanding. You are amazing. You are the greatest treasure that this life could ever grasp. And there's nothing on this earth that I could get to match you. David, when he prays, uh, whom have I in heaven but you? And, and there's nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My, my heart or my flesh and my heart may fail, but God, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We sang that earlier. Uh, uh, he will forever. Um, hmm, how's that verse go? The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be. Do we grasp what that means? My portion. What we're saying when we sing that is, he's enough. God, what I'm singing right now is you can take everything else because my portion, you will still be there. You are enough to satisfy me. You are all I need. And that's what it means to come before God with a right response. And that's what they're saying here. What shall we do? And Peter responds in verse 38. He says, um, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's take that apart. Repent. That word repent, um, it means to turn away from sin. It, it's not confession. OK, it's not just saying I'm sorry. It's literally a turning away from the wrong, the things that we have done to offend God. It's a turning away from those things and doing the opposite. It's setting a course that goes away from the sin. It's not just confessing our sins, which is important, which is very, very important, which is good. One of the wonderful verses in the Bible is 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's really good news for those of us who sin, which pretty much encompasses this entire room and well beyond. Okay, that's good, good news. Okay, and so the confession thing is huge. But repentance, when we come to Christ, is bigger than that. Repentance is literally turning. It's a change of direction. It's a change of purpose. And repentance is turning from our sin. That's what Peter's saying to them. What you need to do is turn around. This is the direction you're going away from God and you got to turn and go towards God and you got to turn away from that sin. You got to turn away from the things you're doing that don't please God. Uh, Albert Barnes, he, he says this false repentance dreads the consequences of sin. True repentance dreads sin itself. Man, how many of us have fallen into the first half of that? false repentance is just a, we just don't want to deal with the consequences i'm sinning i just don't want to deal with getting caught i don't want my friends to know the things that i do behind closed doors i don't want my wife to know the things that i'm doing i don't want my kids to know the things i'm doing and i would be horrified if they found out how many of us fall into that category it's not true repentance it's not real repentance that's just feeling sorry for ourselves 
and being afraid of getting caught for the things we're doing. No, true repentance dreads the sin. I don't want to do the sin. I don't want to offend God. I don't want to fall into that stuff. I don't want to be trapped by that stuff. No, I want to obey God. And I know that God is offended when I do those things. And so I don't, even want, I don't want that. It's not that I don't want to get caught. I don't want the sin. I want to live for God. I want to live for Him. First John um, chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, right before the passage we talked about where it says, if you confess your sins, right before that in uh, verses 5-7 through 7 of chapter 1, says, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, son cleanses us from all sin. So it's not just I just I just fall back on one nine. That's what I end up falling back on because I do sin. I do fail. I do things that offend God. And so I have to come back to if I confess my sins, he's faithful. Thank you, Lord. He's just. Thank you, Lord. And he will forgive me of my sin. Thank you, Lord. But my purpose is not to just sit on that verse. My purpose is that I walk in the light because God is light. And if I want to have fellowship with God and if I want to have fellowship with other believers, then what it's telling me is I've got to walk in light. I can't be walking around in the darkness. I can't just stay there. I've got to walk in light. And my purpose, that's what repentance is. It's turning away from sin. It's dreading the sin. And wanting to live for God, a life that is pleasing and holy, which means set apart. First Peter um, chapter 1, verse 16, where God says, Be holy. Because I'm holy. Be set apart because I'm set apart. And so be like me. Now we can't be that perfectly, which is why 1 John 1 9 is such a wonderful, wonderful verse. But he says, be holy, be set apart. Live a life that is set apart. He goes on and, and uh, he says, repent and be baptized. Now, I want to cover this for a minute. We talked about this. Um, we were going through the book of First Peter, and, and uh, it was back in January. Some of you were here, some of you weren't. But uh, what it talks about when, it's, when, when it says be baptized. Being baptized is, is an act where um, something that we do as, as, as a, a body where um, someone who puts their faith and their trust in Christ is baptized, which literally means immersed. And where we'll take them, we have a, a ceremony where it's just a celebration worship time. Where we take the person and, and we put them in water, and and then we baptize them. And and, and according to Matthew um, chapter 18, we do that. Uh, not Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 28. We do that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just uh, something we do in in honor and in in um, worship of Him. Okay. But what we want you to make sure that you understand from this passage, because if you just take this passage, okay out of the Bible and just stand on this, then what it would sound like it's saying is, I have to be baptized to be saved. And I don't want you to think that, okay? Uh, because that's not true. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. Um, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, it says, uh, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that Christ, uh, that God raised him from the dead will be saved. It doesn't say anything about any kind of work, which would be baptism, okay? Or any other kind of work. 
Uh, it's simply confessing and believing in our heart. But um, actually, let me read one more passage. First uh, Peter chapter three twenty one. First Peter chapter three is probably the best explanation. It's the same writer, by the way. Peter, who's giving this uh, um, sermon, is also the one who wrote First Peter. And so, from the same mouth, or at least pen, uh, comes this verse. And in verse twenty one, it says, "Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience." through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we did a whole sermon on this, so I don't want to spend the rest of the time on this, but Peter is, is clarifying immediately when he says it now saves you, not as a removal of dirt, not as um, it, it doesn't save you, okay? What he says is baptism, which corresponds to this. So we have to find out what does it correspond to. In the previous, in this paragraph that it's in, uh, in the previous section, what it's talking about is baptism, which corresponds to Noah, the ark, and the flood, okay? All of this is in the sermon back in January. I would really encourage you to listen to the whole thing, okay? But what it's saying is baptism that corresponds to Noah getting on the ark in the flood now saves you. Now, what was that back in the flood? What saved Noah and his family? Was it the ark? No. God saved Noah and his family. God spoke to Noah and his family and said, I love you. You are righteous. You're following me and I'm going to save you. But I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to put a flood on the earth and it's going to kill everyone who doesn't get on this boat. And what he says is, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you out. And it was an act of faith that Noah, who spent all these years building this huge boat for something that had never happened before. Okay, and so it's an act of faith that Noah gets onto the ark and God saves him from the flood. Okay, baptism, which corresponds to this, which is an act of faith, now saves you. And so what we believe and, and, and what we think that scripture teaches us is this. We are saved by grace. God saves us when we put our faith, when we put our trust, when we believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth and the life. He's the only way to get to heaven. Uh, he came. He lived a perfect life. He died. God raised him from the grave and has said to us, if you believe and you confess with your mouth that, that, that Jesus died and God raised him from the grave, then you'll be saved. But baptism is the expression of faith that we use to say not just to god but to other people this is what i believe and this is what my life is about and it's a picture for those people of what christ has done inside of us where our old life is as you picture going under the water our old life is dead and now we have a new life in Christ, okay? And so Peter's not saying here that you must be baptized to be saved. In fact, a great passage for that is um, when Jesus is on the cross in, in Luke. Jesus is on the cross, and there's two criminals, one to each side. One is cursing him, and one looks at the one that's cursing and says, What are you doing? This is a righteous, innocent man. And you remember he looks at Jesus, and what does he say? Remember me. When you enter your kingdom and Jesus says today, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now, he didn't stop everything and say, now, whoa, 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 he didn't stop the guards. He didn't stop the soldiers. He didn't he didn't stop the people and say, listen, we've got to get this guy off the cross and get him baptized or, or I lied. He won't be in heaven today. Right. He didn't do that. And so if baptism is necessary for salvation. Then 
that doesn't make sense, okay? But let me get to this next part here, okay? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, okay? Every one of you is very important to the repent and be baptized, both. Because here's what happens. We hear, well, baptism isn't necessary for salvation. And so we devalue baptism. And so I will tell you, I, I, I will take this stand. If someone is not willing to be baptized, then I would question, and here's why, baptism is the first commandment that we're given after we accept Christ and believe in him, okay? Unless there's a health issue, unless there's a real issue, then I would question whether that person in the next sentence who says, I'm not willing to be baptized, if they in the next sentence could honestly say, Jesus is Lord of my life, okay? Because if Jesus gives the first commandment that he gives is be baptized, believe, and then be baptized, and we say, yes, yes, Lord, you are the master of my life. I am your servant. I'm going to do whatever you say. And then our next thing is, but I'm not going to get in water and put my head under water. I would really, really struggle to understand, then how is Jesus Lord of your life? Because that seems like a simple thing to me to stand up and to tell people, I just found the greatest treasure that I could ever find. I would love for you to find it too. And I just want to demonstrate my faith in this God to you through this. Okay. And so it's, it's something that's commanded of all believers. Um, they're not going to keep you out of heaven. The act. But I certainly would question, man, if we say that Jesus is the Lord of our life, how then could we say, but the first thing you want me to do Ah, I'm not going to do that. I would have a hard time kind of marrying those two thoughts. All right. All right. It's a little longer than I wanted to spend on that. But uh, and so it says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, not someone else's name, not any other name. Jesus Christ. Jesus says in, in John 14, 6, I am the way I am the truth and I am the life. And no one can come to the father except through me now that sounds really harsh and really intolerant and i'm okay with that because i didn't say it i god said that that's what he said and so i'll just i i'm fine with that if i sound intolerant if i sound harsh if i sound i'm sorry i just i gotta go by god's word i gotta go by what's what it says and jesus said i'm the way i'm the truth i'm the life and no one can get to heaven except through me in fact in in the a couple chapters ahead in, in uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Man, if that doesn't do something for our mission attitude, I don't know what will. Because I think, even though we would say, well, I do believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, but then to think of all of the people in our neighborhood, in our state, in the country, and around the world who are trusting in another name, hoping that that will get them to heaven. And we're just okay with that. I don't know if it's just because, well, I got Jesus, so what's the matter to me? Like, I get Jesus. Man, that has to do something with our mission mindset. 
It has to do something with how we think about the rest of the world, how we think about the rest of this nation, how we think about people in general. You know, it was, man, it was um, this week. I, uh, there's a book by Randy Alcorn called Heaven. It's huge. It's this big book called Heaven, and it's about heaven. And uh, I was reading it a year ago, and I read the first half of it, and it was just like too much. It was consuming all my time because I was trying to get through this book, and, and, uh, I was, and it, was, it was wonderful, though. Like my mindset as I'm looking at, at, at the mountains and as I'm looking at streams and as I'm looking at all this stuff, I'm just like, man, then what is heaven going to be like? And, and my mindset was so different and so good. I mean, just changed my perspective as I walked through the day, and it was just so healthy, so good. But because of some other pastoral things that I needed to study and needed to cover and all this stuff, I had to put the book down. And I haven't picked it up for another, a year. Uh, it's been a, a long time since I've even picked up the book. But this past week, I just decided, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a chapter out of this book. This is so good. I need that right now. I need to be thinking heaven-minded. I need... And so I just picked up this book, and I'm reading through this chapter. And, man, again, my spirit is just lifted, thinking, God, is this what it's going to be like? Like, is this, um, is it this good? Is it this, re- and it's better than this, I know, but I'm like blown away just thinking, I get heaven. I get heaven. And I hadn't read this book for a year, and I'm in the middle of reading this chapter, just consumed with thinking, God, I get heaven. I can't believe this. And I get this phone call from a lady that I knew, and uh, and, and a, a, a co um uh, not friend, but um, someone acquaintance that we both knew. Uh, she said, I, I wanted to call you and let you know that this guy died this weekend. And I knew he wasn't a believer. And, uh, and I'm in the middle of reading this heaven book thinking, God, I get heaven. And in the midst of this, um, this, this lady says, and we just, we're just all hoping that he's in a better place. I was ruined inside. I mean, I was... Because I knew what I was thinking and what I was praying and how I was saying, God, I get this because of Jesus. And I knew unless something changed in the last days that, according to Scripture, he didn't. And I was ruined over that. And I was so convicted by the fact that I never think about that. I never just go through life thinking, I get heaven and they might not. And my mission mindset had better change to the fact that I want them desperately to get what God has graciously given to me. And it's got to affect that for us. It's got to change the way that we are thinking about people. And God says, love me most. I mean, the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is a byproduct of the first. And it says, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. Love other people as much as you love yourself. And, and as we look at this and where it says that we must be repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, I just wonder, what does that do for us? How does that change our thinking and, and how do we think of other people? It goes on and, and it says, repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about that and how much do we take that for granted? What we have received through Christ. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. You know, we talked about this months ago, but our greatest enemy is our sin. It's not the devil. It's not Satan. It's our sin. 
our sin is our greatest enemy because our sin, not Satan, our sin is what keeps us out of heaven. And then Jesus comes and says, if you just believe in what I did, I'll forgive your sin. And not just that, the perfect life that I lived, I'll credit it to your account. So that whenever God looks at you from now on, I'm what he sees. My perfect record is now what he sees in you. Do we forget what we have received through Christ? A perfect, perfect record. We're forgiven. We're clean. You know, I remember, and and, uh, I have avoided telling this as an analogy for five years, because I thought, man, is this good to tell in church? It's a perfect analogy, so you can tell me afterwards, all right? When when Sean and I had, uh, we lived in California, Southern California, uh, we had the opportunity. Alden was a year and like three or four months old. Everyone's nervous now. It's good. Um, Alden was like a year and three or four months old, and uh, I was invited to to uh, help and, and lead worship at a uh, camp in, in California, Hume Lake, which is one of Sean and my favorite spots in the whole world. It's it's in the middle of the Sequoia National Forest. Just beautiful. I mean, just an amazing, amazing place and just awesome. And and so uh, incredible privilege to be able to go there and, and uh, went there with Francis and, and his family. And, and we went and uh, put us up in this lodge and it was brand new lodge that they had. It's just beautiful. I mean, just perfect setting and everything's if there was if there was a movie there'd be wonderful music playing not the scary kind just wonderful music playing just wonderful and so we're hanging out with francis and lisa and we put alden down for a nap and alden's a year and a half or not even a year and a half a year and three months and and he was in his diaper and and uh and so we just had him in a little t-shirt diaper we put him in his pack and play and uh, we just go outside the room there to hang out with with uh francis and lisa and um it had been a little while, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go peek at him. You know, he was so cute. Like, you couldn't help it. And so I'm going to go in and look at him. And I go in, and I find my son in his pack and play, and he had undone his diaper. He never tried to do that before. He did it. And he had, how can I say this? He made a poopy. Okay? Uh and he found the poopy. And I looked down at my son. He's covered in it. It was all over his hands. It was on his lips. It was everywhere. And I look at my little son, who is probably, up until this second, the cutest one year and three month old on the face of the planet. I mean, just adorable, perfect little boy. And I see him, and he's just covered in this stuff. And I was, I was so broken hearted. I wasn't mad at all. I mean, we weren't mad at all. It was just, I was so broken hearted to see my boy covered in that. And we had to wake him up. We got him up and we put him in the shower and we're washing him off and, and just trying to clean him off and, and get him clean again. And, and I walked away from that. And I just thought, Lord, that is how you see me so often. You just see me covered in this stuff, and you're not mad at me. You're brokenhearted that I have allowed myself to get into this stuff again that offends you. And my heart was just so torn for my boy, and I just realized, man, God loves me so much. He loves me way more than I love Alden. 
And he sees me in this stuff that looks just the same to him as what Alden was in. And he loves me. And his heart breaks as I do that. His heart breaks as I get into that. Guys, it is not okay to stay that way. Your father loves you and desperately, desperately wants you to repent and confess and be clean and forgiven. And that's what forgiveness is like. It's the God of the universe looking at you in all of this crud and washing you clean, forgiving you, wiping it away, just taking it from you. And to think that Jesus took that upon himself for you so that you could be clean. It just, it it blows my mind. It blows my mind. I was thinking again, laying in bed last night before I could go to sleep, just praying and, and thinking through, and I just got hooked up on that thought. God, you you give, I get heaven. Like, I don't know if you just stop and think about that. But we get heaven. That is incomprehensible because I know for a fact that I look a lot more like the Alden in the crib than you guys think that I do. And I know you do too. We are all messed up in this stuff. And God says, I want to forgive you. I want to wash you. I want to cleanse you. I want you to be clean because of Jesus. And we take it for granted. We take it for granted. May I encourage you this morning to examine, examine your heart. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise, we'll go through these next verses quickly, but for the promise is for you. The Old Testament we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Old Testament promised that the Holy Spirit was going to come to the Jewish people and for your children and for all who are far off. It also promised it wasn't just going to come for the Jewish people, it was going to come for the Gentiles too. And this next line is huge. Wherever it is. There it is. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Does this seem to be a pattern for anybody? (laughs) Like, does it seem like we keep bringing this up? It's talking about the sovereignty, the sovereignty of God in our salvation. Everyone who God calls to himself. Man, our God is sovereign. And what I'm hoping, I'm, I'm reading through the passage um, this week, preparing for this week, and I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is a great message. It talks about salvation and people repent and all these people come to know the Lord. And, and again, election, Lord? Why every single passage do we have to cover that? You know, and I'm, I'm saying that laughing, but here's what I've been praying and hoping is I'm hoping that some, for some of you, and I know some of you struggle, you struggle with the election part of the Bible, and you struggle with God being sovereign over the hearts of men. You struggle with that. What I'm hoping is that if you've attended here for the last, uh, like, nine months, and see that it just keeps coming up over and over again, not just in my preparation, in Scripture, where it is God who calls us, and saves us, forgives us, redeems us, gives us eternal life. It's God. It's God. He is sovereign. He is the ruler over the hearts of men. And he is good. He is very, very good. 
Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. Uh, real quick, what that's saying is this sermon's a lot longer than what we get here, okay? So for those of you who read through this passage and thought, man, I wish Tony would preach that short. Sorry, like, he, for many other words it says, he exhorted them, okay? So you're getting the short version here and not here. Um, I apologize. Uh, but he says, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Uh, how many of us need to hear that? You know, how many of us, uh, we take on this mindset of, man, I, I need to fit in. I gotta, uh, I've got to be relevant. I've got to fit into the culture because then when they see I'm their buddy, then they'll want Jesus. I'm just saying, man, what I'm going to take from Peter is I'm going to save myself first in that i'm going to make sure i'm living a holy life i'm going to make sure that i'm repenting i'm going to make sure that that i'm i'm begging god to forgive me of my sins and i don't get involved in the stuff yes i'm going to get involved in the people yes i'm going to get involved in the lives yes i'm going to get involved with the hearts yes i'm going to get involved with those people but i don't have to do the stuff that's going on in the generation I don't have to be a part of that. I can be set apart. I can be holy, like First Peter uh, one twenty one says. One twenty one or eighteen. There's your homework. That's right here. Come on, one sixteen, right in the middle there, or before. Um, in one sixteen, where it says, "Be holy, be set apart," because I am holy. I'm set apart. And then in verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. A couple things very quickly, okay? Number one, how amazing. I mean, how amazing to have been there and see 3,000 people. Remember, what was, their, what was their question at the beginning? What shall we do? Well, they did it. They were willing and baptism was a huge deal for these people because what it would have done was physically visibly separated them from judaism it couldn't be hidden i mean if they were baptized what they were saying is we are not following this anymore we're not following what the government's saying we will follow christ because we believe he's the way we believe he's the truth we believe he's the life it was a big deal for three thousand people to stand up and say we're not gonna follow the government anymore and that's not my sermon by the way (laughs) Don't think that, hey, Tony told us not to follow the government anymore. (laughs) Their government was telling them a specific religion. There you go. We're not going to follow this religion anymore. We're going to follow Christ. We're going to believe in Christ. How amazing, how amazing that must have been. How incredible that must have been to be a part of seeing those 3,000 people just surrender. I encourage you today, if, uh, if you look a lot like Alden, uh, in that crib, man, I would I would just give you the words of Peter, uh, of God, to repent today, to turn away, and don't 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 be satisfied with just dreading being caught. And I know I know that, that many of you are struggling with that. You're doing stuff, and in your heart, you're just like, what if I get caught? 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 And that's what you're worried. About. Don't don't stop thinking that way and realize, man. I've been caught. God knows my heart. He knows my motives. He knows my intentions. He knows my lives, lies. He knows my excuses. I'm caught. And I am guilty. 
and I dread the sin. I dread disobeying God, and I need clean, I need forgiven, I need God to forgive me. I encourage you today, take care of it today. We're going to sing a, a song, and, and uh, man, what I encourage you to do is, if, if that's you, um, I'm going to ask for boldness in it. You know, I, I think of these 3,000 people who had to visibly put their lives on the line because they're separating themselves from everything that they had to do in, a, in this culture. And, uh, and they were putting their lives on the line for it. I would challenge you, um, just while we're singing, I'm going to be leading. And so I encourage you to just come down to the one of the front two rows here and, and just, just hang out up here. Um, people will see you come up. That's okay, because what they'll probably do is cheer you on as you do it. And, uh, and man, I would love to pray with you afterwards and, and just um, get things right between you and the Lord. You cannot, you cannot have fellowship with God if you're still still just messing through all that stuff you can't have fellowship with God that way I encourage you today to repent and ask God to forgive you I love to pray with you love to talk to you through that but let me pray and then we'll, we'll worship together father thank you for your grace and thank you for loving us in spite of how we have looked in our cribs um, the stuff that we have gotten into stuff that we're into some of us are into it right now some of us are, are um, just caught up in so many things you know you know exactly what they are you know and you're speaking to hearts right now and and i pray that if that's if that's the case that there are just people who are wrecked inside right now um, but most of all i pray that their response would be the same as these people in scripture that their response would be what shall i do that they would not look for a way out, that they would not look for another excuse, but they would submit, that they would repent. God, give faith. God, help um, each of us to overcome our unbelief in you. If there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, God, I pray that they would see that here are people who who killed Jesus and they realized that he was God and they were willing to give up everything to follow him. I pray that you'd speak light into their heart and give them understanding and that today they would repent and follow you, Lord. I thank you for your word because it is truth. I thank you for how you have forgiven me over and over and over again. And that verse is so true you're faithful and you're just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How wonderful, Lord. And to think that you see us as righteous. To think that you give us heaven. We thank you and we praise you, God. And we love you so much. We thank you for this time. Thanks for the freedom that we do have to talk about this. And the fact that to repent right now is not going to put our lives on the line. It might put our reputations on the line. It might put us... Uh, in a situation where we lose friends, but we certainly don't lose our life. And we know that's not the case everywhere, and it certainly wasn't the case here in, in the New Testament where people did lose their lives because they followed you. God, help us. Give us boldness to walk out of this room, changed people. Give us boldness to not just fear and dread the consequences of our sin, but to dread the sin and to love you and treasure you above all things, God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.